following sermon is made available by Antioch Presbyterian Church, located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. So boys and girls, I want you to think about uh, different types of disobedience. Some types of disobedience affect you. They're, they're not as serious. They're sin, but not as serious. So let's say you've been uh, commanded to uh, turn the light out and to go to sleep and you're not obeying. You're just you're the only one in the room and, and, you're, and you're not obeying um, and you're sinning. But that sin really only affects you. But what if you've been told not to play with fire? And you play with fire and you burn down your house. You see, that's a disobedience that destroys and hurts not just yourself, but your family. Now, the same is true with crimes uh, in our culture. Um, there's a law that you should wear a seatbelt when you drive or when you're a passenger in the car. And um, if you break that law, it's, it's a crime. But it's really only going to affect you. But there's also laws about speeding. And if you're driving recklessly and speeding, that is a much more serious crime because you then could hurt many others in the process. So there are sins and crimes that affect us individually. There are sins and crimes that affect those around us. Particularly now in our culture, our civil law should be based on the Ten Commandments, particularly four through nine. And historically, that's been the case in our country. And what we need to realize is, is that because of the seriousness of these laws, particularly in the general principles that expressed in them, that to break these laws is to live in a destructive manner in the town, the city, the country where we live. Now, you can see that, for example, in our own day with uh, uh, now the great violation of the uh, Eighth Commandment and how it's actually uh, destroying businesses and actually destroying the centers of cities because private property is not being protected by the police and uh, um, robbery is on the increase. Or, of course, you think of it in terms of the Sixth Commandment and how the anarchy and the violence of our culture also is destroying our culture. But this morning, I want you to think about the Seventh Commandment and what the violation of the Seventh Commandment is doing to our country, to our cities, our towns. When God says you shall not commit adultery, to violate that is even more than violating uh, the Seventh Commandment, because this is a creation ordinance. The family is God's first social institution. The family is foundational to all other uh, social institutions. And adultery destroys the family. And, and we're seeing this in our own culture, don't we? Um, it started with... Um, uh, Promiscuous divorce, and then the acceptance of fornication, and then the acceptance of adultery, 
And now we have uh, the acceptance of homosexuality and transgenderism. You see, these things are connected. All the things I listed are part of the, 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 the uh, commandment and prohibitions of the seventh commandment. And we got a dry rot now in our country. It's estimated that some 50% of young ladies, by the time they finish high school, are not virgins. The statistics of couples living together uh, outside the covenant bond of marriage is it probably 50% because illegitimate births now are 41% in America. That is a relatively new percentage, and it is very frightening to us. Serial divorce and the destruction of the family that comes from um, these sexual sins and this uh, realization or failure to realize the uh, terribleness of divorce. The God who says, I hate it. So the text before us this morning, I trust you see, is very important. And it's not just very important for us culturally or societally. It's very important for each one of us individually. As we hear now, uh, Job's uh, resolution against adultery and sexual sins. You remember that in this chapter, what Job is doing is taking occasion uh, to refute the accusations of his enemies and to uh, vindicate himself. Uh, and in doing so, though, is giving us very concrete illustrations of how the writer of the book and God has described Job. And that is, he was blameless, upright, a God-fearer, turning away from evil. So what does that look like? Well, here we've seen that he begins with the heart, with a vow not to look with lust upon a young unmarried woman, uh, with a vow with respect to trying to avoid deceit and greed and covetousness that would lead then to violation of the Eighth Commandment. And now in verses 9 to 12, he moves to a very concrete reality Interesting, nothing new under the sun. Adultery is as old as sinful mankind. And here he, Holy Spirit, teaches us that God hates adultery. And it's evil, or because God hates adultery and the consequences of it, we must at all costs avoid Adultery and all sexual sins. Because God hates adultery and because of the consequences of it, we must avoid the occasions of adultery and all other sexual sins. Now we're going to unpack this under three headings. We're going to look at a resolution against adultery, the um, abomination uh, of adultery, or the abhorrence of adultery, and then the consequences of adultery. Well, let's begin then with Job's resolution, which needs to be our resolution that he expresses in verse 9. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or I have lurked at my neighbor's doorway. Now, this reminds you of the structure of this chapter beginning in verse 5. We have these series of conditional sentences where with the if clause... Job is asserting his righteousness in a certain area. And then it follows most often with a, uh, a consequence that's an oath of self-malediction. 
So what he's saying is, if I've done this, let God do this to me. That's his way of saying, I'm seriously opposed to this type of sin. doesn't always have it, as we'll see through the chapter, uh, spelled out the oath of self-destruction. But it often does, and we see it here now, uh, as we saw it in verses 5 through 8. So uh, what we have is if in verse 9, and then may, and there is the oath. So the resolution, though, is stated by the conditional sentence. And that is that Job has resolved himself not to put himself in a place to be seduced by a woman, or to put himself into a place to seduce a woman. So in the first place, he says, if my heart has been enticed by a woman. In other words, he's saying, I'm not putting myself uh, in the place where I could be seduced. Now, many people, particularly in the church today, uh, think that seduction is purely a male problem and that men seduce women. But we know from this that women seduce men. We know from Solomon in Proverbs 2 and 6 that women seduce men. We know of Potiphar's wife seeking to seduce Joseph. In fact, uh, Solomon gives us the pathology of this in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 7 verses 10 to 23. Behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot. She's boisterous. Now she's not a harlot. She's a wife. She's boisterous, rebellious. She seizes him and kisses him with a brazen face. She says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings today. She's a member of the church. I've paid my vows. I've spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses for my husband is not at home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering looks, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. This is the actions of a seductress. Job is well aware as a wealthy man that uh, he also could be the object of a woman seeking to seduce him. And uh, men can find themselves in that situation, particularly uh, you young men as you're preparing for the ministry. Uh, this is often the case in a church where a woman is either lonely and seeking to ingratiate herself to the pastor in order to seduce him, or sometimes simply in the way she's expressing her loneliness or the uh, uh, meanness of her husband, uh, she is by Satan working in his heart. And we see that this happens, and it happens all the time. And that's why you must guard your heart. You must never be alone with a woman uh, in any kind of pastoral counseling or, or visitation situation. And you must be aware of the evils of a seductress. Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate was not the first woman in history to seduce a man much younger than she is. And so we must beware of uh, putting ourselves into situations. And then on the other hand, he said that he was not going to put himself in a situation to be a seducer. In the second line, or have I lurked at my neighbor's doorway? So the woman in verse uh, 8, 9 is a married woman. Here, uh, the word lurk means to hide in ambush to do harm. 
So he is observing the situation. It might be a literal situation that he knows her husband is gone. Um, and thus he lurks in order to seduce. Or he uh, knows again of her loneliness. And that in that sense her husband is gone. He ignores her. He, he pays her no attention. And he, uh, the, the, the seducer looks for those kind of situations and uh, places himself into those situations. And what the Holy Spirit is showing us here that we must resolve, not just to avoid the act. We must resolve to avoid any occasion, any circumstance uh, that would lead to that act. For as we see, it is reprehensible. And so as we've been talking in the other two sections, we must exercise this mortification of the flesh. We must pluck out our eyes uh, if they offend in order that we might remain pure. And we must be careful as well uh, with other forms of sexual sin that can seduce us. Now, we're all aware of the danger of pornography. And not only is it a hideous sin, it is a sin that leads then to fornication, adultery, and other sexual perversions. But let's back up a step from that. You must be careful what kind of books you read. What kind of movies you view? I know that by God's grace, uh, as uh, I've grown, um, I, I shudder at some things that I allowed uh, my wife and me to, to watch. Um, and we'll, you grow in these things, but you must, be, you must be aware of the music, young people, to which you listen. You think it's just the words. Oftentimes, you don't even know what they're singing because you like the music. But I tell you what. In your brain, wicked words are being stored up. But oftentimes, forms of music themselves are enticements to sexual sin. And as parents, we need to be careful then what our children read and what they watch and what they listen to. Uh, that we might enable them to guard their hearts. We, might, we must keep from them the temptation of smartphones when they're young and, and spiritually immature. And some of you young people maybe resent that your parents uh, keep that from you right now. But understand, they're doing this for your well-being. They are protecting you because of the dangers of being seduced or being the seducer. It's also a great advantage that's happened in our Christian culture with respect to courtship. Now, I'm not promoting any one kind of courtship, but uh, I wish in my day the church had taught these things and had led us as young people to understand the importance. You know, uh, in my day, uh, this is not to be copied, young people, but it was always the question that I got asked as working with youth was, how far can I go and not sin? You know, where's the line? Well, see, that's a complete misunderstanding of physical relationship. God designed our bodies. They're, they're tactile. They, they respond to touch. And from the very innocence of holding hands to everything that goes after that, long before the fornication, um, we have been committing sexual sin. We have been at least placing ourselves in positions of temptation. And we must resolve with Job to avoid those occasions to be seduced or to be a seducer. Now, next, Job expresses the abhorrence of 
this sin. It is indeed an abomination. He does so now with this oath of self-destruction. If I've done these things, may my wife grind for another and let others kneel down over her. We have a progression here. The, the most, um, the first understanding of let my wife grind for, and understand now, it's not that Job wants his wife to suffer. He loves her sacrificially. This is why this oath is so important. He cherishes her. So what he's saying is, you know, if I betrayed my wife or another man's wife, then let my wife suffer. He begins with let her grind for others. And the, the first step of this might be that she will become another man's slave or housekeeper and forced to grind meal for him, which was a, the work of a, a maiden or a slave girl. But it's also easily a euphemism that goes with the second line, which is clearly a sexual euphemism uh, when he says, let others kneel down over her. Now the two things are put together in Isaiah chapter 47. Come, he's addressing Babylon, and sit down in dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind mill. Remove your veil, strip off the skirt, uncover the leg, cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your shame also will be exposed. Now here it's the figure used for um, a nation. God uses the same figure for his own people who were adulterous, whores, uh, both uh, Israel and Judah. But here, uh, Job applies it to himself. And that if, in fact, he uh, committed sexual sins, then may he suffer in his wife for those sins. Let her become another man's mistress, another man's sex object, another man's wife, another man's adulteress. You perhaps remember a very graphic fulfillment of this oath in the case of David. After his adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan said to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. God fulfilled that prophecy in Absalom's rebellion in 2 Samuel 16, verse 22. You remember that God's chastening for sin is often on par. That uh, the chastening will be equal to the sin itself. Not always. But here we see that it is. And we see how awful uh, adultery is. Our sexual sins uh, by this oath that he takes. We need to have this same fear of sexual sin. Understand it's, it's abomination. God hates it. And we must learn to hate it. We have become numbed in our society. We've been numbed with the acceptability of recreational sex. We became numb with serial divorce. Numb then to adultery. Now it's very interesting. When the society began to react to sodomy, um, many people accused the 
athletes and others who now were responding negatively to sodomy. Well, you never responded that way to adultery. And then it becomes a homophobia, doesn't it? You know, it's not that you hate sin. You hate sexual sins. Adultery is more serious than sodomy. We know that because it is the chief of all the sexual sins listed. Because it violates the covenant bond of marriage. For that reason, God says that he hates it. We need to hate it and to hate all occasions that will lead to it. Which leads then to the consequences of adultery and sexual perversions in verses 11 and 12. For that would be a lustful crime. Moreover, it would be an iniquity punishable by judges. For it would be fire that consumes to Abaddon and would uproot all my increase. Um, notice that verse 11 begins with the little word for. And I reminded you men as you work to exegete scripture, they pay attention to these logical links that the Holy Spirit gives us through the writer. So um, here's his oath, his resolution, his oath of self-destruction. Why now? That's what for is answering. And we have two, two verses. In the first place, it would be a lustful crime. And actually the Hebrew is more likely to simply be a hideous sinful act, wicked. Moreover, it would be an iniquity punishable by judges. Now he moves here in a progression. In the first place, it indeed is uh, abhorrent. Uh, it is the height of lustful wickedness. It is a, a perversion that leads to the destruction of the home and all other perversions. And we must be aware then of the destruction of the family, the destruction of children. Uh, all these children being raised today uh, without fathers. Many not even knowing who their fathers are. And our government's support of this, well, they actually would pay women just to have children. Didn't matter that there was no man in the home. Didn't matter whether they were married. No, we'll just pay you if you'll have children. But we see it is... Gross wickedness. It indeed is destroying our society. As I've said, it has led uh, from uh, adultery to homosexuality, now to transgenderism. And all these things are related. And they all are consequences of what's happening now in our society. We've been asleep. And it's overcome us. And it's destroying our homes, our children, and our culture. As I said, it's like dry rot, and our house is going to fall just completely down on itself. Now, because of that, he goes on to say something that will surprise some of you, and that is, he says that it is a crime uh, that would uh, be punishable by judges. It would be an iniquity, a sin, an evil, punishable by judges. And here, uh, we see then, and as we see with the other commandments, particularly 4 through 9, that uh, it's been understood long before the Ten Commandments, by God's revelation, it's been understood by natural law in the hearts of all people who have not suppressed it, that adultery is a heinous sin and destructive to society. And so countless cultures throughout the history of the world have had laws against it, not just mores. It was a crime punishable. In Israel, it was punishable by death, as it was in many other countries uh, in the days of Israel. It wasn't simply a unique situation. And it needs to be understood that it is a crime. It should be punished uh, by the civil magistrate with whatever proper 
uh, punishment can be meted out in our culture, it is a crime against the state as well as against the family. Now, obviously, if the state is to punish this crime, the elders of the church must also be willing to punish this crime. And we hear of too many cases where uh, sessions, particularly when family is involved, have refused to discipline a person who got an unbiblical divorce or who committed sexual sins, particularly adultery. And I hear cases all the time outside of our own circles, just talking to some young men uh, that I was with in Oxford in August. And uh, they were talking about a church where a man I know is and said that people um, will leave that church and, or, or go to that church after having been disciplined or after having committed sexual sins and be immediately placed even into places of leadership. And we know that the percentage of divorces in the church is, is about the same as that in the world. No, we must exercise great prudence and carefulness then as shepherds of the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we begin gently with warnings, admonitions, calls to repentance, suspension from the table. But if a person persists impenitently in the sexual sins or an unbiblical divorce, then they must be excommunicated and put out of the family. Because the church, too, as we've prayed, is the family of God. And this type of sin in the church destroys our family. And is it not destroying our family? Does a month go by that you do not hear of some uh, leader in a church who's been exposed either for a lifelong practice of adultery or immediately, more recently, caught up in adultery in our own denomination and throughout other denominations in our country? It is epidemic and we as elders must be willing to guard the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ and to shepherd our people with regard to these things. So that's the first two consequences. Then it actually gets more serious in verse 12. It would be fire that consumes to Abaddon. It would uproot all my increase. Now, in the first place, he's saying here that it will lead to eternal destruction. Remember, we saw back in chapter 29 um, that Abaddon, in fact, is uh, hell, the place of uh, destruction. And adultery, at the end of the day, sexual sins. You know, interestingly, with our culture's acceptance of fornication, um, that is one of the sins that Paul lists, that the one who practices that shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I've dealt with people, new Christians, who thought, yes, adultery is a sin, but recreational sex isn't a sin. Recreational sex is a sin. It does the same things uh, to uh, the family and to the culture, um, or similar things that adultery does. At the end of the day, the impenitent sexual pervert um, goes to hell. That's the clear consequence of this. And in the meanwhile, it's destroying himself and his family. So on the pathway to hell, notice, and would uproot all my increase or all my yield. And so he said it is self-destructive. It impoverishes. It dehumanizes. Uh, Solomon uh, says in Proverbs 6.26, For on account of the harlot one is reduced to a loaf of bread, 
Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So the one who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her will not go unpunished. He reinforces that from the passage we read earlier. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. So he does not know that it will cost him his life. He ruins his estate. One of the serious reasons and why the Bible took it so seriously with the covenant is that it mixes the seed. Because oftentimes, a person will not know if the wife has committed adultery. Is this my boy? Is this my girl? Or somebody else's? I've passionately dealt with that, I think, at least twice in my ministry. Where there was uh, adultery and, and confession of that adultery. But there was always the question of a child that was born at that time. Was she the husband's child? Or was she the other man's child? You see, it mixes the seed. One of the reasons it is so evil and uh, disastrous. Moreover, sexual license dehumanizes. And Paul uh, gets to this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which leads into what we read in chapter 7. At the end of chapter 6, he says, um, Do you not know, in verse 16, that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he who says the two shall become one flesh. For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. It dehumanizes. Now, the logic of what Paul is showing you, because of God's design for the relationship within the bond, the covenant bond of marriage, that two become one flesh. And what Paul shows here is, is that in uh, fornication and adultery, uh, if you become one flesh with each person, it begins to be a fragmentation of your very being, a fragmentation of your personality. A recreational sex is not innocent. Recreational sex destroys those who are involved in these relationships. It fragments them. It dehumanizes them. And of course, for us, he says, remember, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And thus, you must live with integrity in these things. You know, I've been meditating a lot lately on the reality that the triune God indwells us. The Spirit of Christ comes into us, bringing the, the benefits of Christ's mediation to us. But the triune God, then, is you're his temple. You're his temple. And you are destroying his temple as you destroy yourself. And so we see that because God hates sin and because of its consequences, we must have avoid all occasions of adultery and, and sexual sin. I trust that every one of you has this resolution and that you'll instill it in your children and that you will train them from the earliest days uh, for biblical habits of, of thinking and living. This means, fathers, when you have boys in particular, certain acts that you must teach them about early and help them to avoid those habits. As uncomfortable as that might be, it must be done. It means when we have in our midst mothers uh, who do not have husbands at this time, 
and have boys, that godly men need to help uh, in these areas with her sons. We must hate it. We must be resolved against it for ourselves and for all those uh, around us. And then we must, in all cases, uh, take actions to fortify ourselves against it. As I've already said, whatever is necessary uh, in your life. I don't legislate what you watch or listen to, uh, but I do tell you that you must know your own heart. And you must never make excuses. Um, I've known uh, instances where uh, a man or a woman were in an unhappy marriage. The spouse was pretty miserable. But there was no biblical grounds for divorce. And the temptation always is then either to commit adultery or seek an unbiblical divorce. When in fact, when God puts us into those situations, we must trust his providence. We must look to him for the grace, this God who indwells us. We must cling to Christ in whom is our strength and salvation. We must put on the armor of the Holy Spirit. For only by God's grace, particularly in the day in which you and I live, can we be kept free from the unchastity of our culture. But then perhaps even this morning, there's someone here who right now is living, practicing pornography, fornication, or adultery. Or perhaps that's something that you have done, and now you're weighed down with the guilt of it. Let me remind you of the beauty of our Savior. 1 Corinthians 6. After Paul has uh, detailed some of the sins that we practice that will lead to uh, eternal damnation, and immorality is one of those sins, he then says these most wonderful words. That fornicators, adulterers, and homosexuals do not inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You see, in those words, there's hope for every one of us. Perhaps you're here today and this sermon has exposed you in your sin and you're not converted. And what should you do? Despair? No, under this conviction, you then hear what Paul says. You turn to God in repentance with a, a genuine sorrow, recognizing the hideous nature of your sin and, and how grievous it is in the sight of God, and you then take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ with the assurance that He will pardon you and empower you. And if you're a Christian and you are in this sinful pattern right now or it's part of your past and you're still bothered by it. You come to, to understand if you confess the sins, if you now reject this by repentance or confess your past, that God pardons you. We're going to come now to the Lord's table. And it is the most wonderful thing now that he declares to us the reality of what we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. But some of you uh, have been washed, regenerated, sanctified, immediately having the seed of righteousness in your heart at the same time that you're justified and declared to be innocent in the sight of God. That is what we come now as we come to feed on Christ. Now let us stand for prayer.
and then our hymn of approach. Oh, good and holy God, we thank you for um, the frankness and the practicality of your word. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit will weave it deeply into our lives and enable us to live chaste and holy lives. Prepare us now to come here for the strength that we will get at your table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.